0: I'm trying to do a podcast here. Hello, and welcome to the Non Breaking Space Show. Apologies for the long gap since the last episode. We blame eggnog, polar vortexes, the Olympics, and snow in Texas, but really we just all got busy and dropped the non breaking space ball, as it were. Anyway, our guest for this episode is Jen Simmons, and your host Christopher Schmidt and Sam Cap talk with her about where we've come from and where we're going with the web. It's changed a lot, and it continues to change, as we all know. You can find links to the various things we discussed at nonbreakingspace.tv, and of course follow us on the Twitters at nbsptv, and on the Facebook machine as well. Enjoy the show. Well, well thank you for taking time to be with us today on the show, and, uh, and I just want to kick things off, because like, the question we always ask everyone is, uh, how did you get into web design and development?
1: Yeah, I um I think it was back in like 96, 95. I went to an Al Gore event mm-hmm. in uh in Austin. It wasn't called an Al Gore event, but it was some sort of um like Come to our day, half-day workshop, and we'll tell you about these federal grants that you can apply for mm-hmm. to get funding to do things like open a computer lab. Because okay. of course, this is this is back in the time where uh, most people didn't have access to computers, and so there were programs that were getting developed to try to provide computer labs for people who hadn't, you know, couldn't afford to buy a computer and who needed access. Mm-hmm. And um, so I worked for a nonprofit at the time, and I went to this thing to like learn about this grant that we'd hoped to get. Mm-hmm. And, um,
0: what nonprofit were you working
1: at? Uh, a place called the Esperanza Center in San Antonio, Texas. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and uh, we applied, but we didn't get it. But meanwhile, when I went to this event, everybody was talking about the web, which I had never heard of before.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, yeah, so I went home and I was like, I don't know. This thing sounds like it's really important. I should learn about it. Uh, and I got a book, an HTML book, and I started um, teaching myself. And building a website for that the group I worked for.
0: So, like, so you work for a nonprofit. So, like, did you um, go to college to go work for nonprofits, or like, what was your path to get to? How did you find yourself working at nonprofit?
1: Um, I studied. I kind of double majored in theater and sociology in college, okay. um, sort of. And so, I want. I went into theater professionally. Is what I was doing. Okay. Um, as a technician as a carpenter as a like a stage hand mm-hmm. and uh and i was in up in boston and i wanted to go you know really take off with a theater career mm-hmm. but i was working in a, a theater that did a lot of broadway sort of used to be on broadway musical shows and um after doing like 27 uh I was going to say episodes, they're not episodes, (laughs) (laughs) performances of uh, Phantom of the Opera followed by 27 performances of Singing in the Rain. I was like, this is (laughs) not, like, I don't want to do this kind of theater. I wanted to do theater that had more of a um, social message or was more relevant to sort of current, Mm -hmm. you know, linking back into sociology, studying sociology. And I wanted to be able to create some kind of art work. you know, be part of a team creating Mm -hmm. work that sort of would have a kind of impact on the. On things, or you know, I was twenty-two, so changed the world. Right. Um, and I didn't really know anybody who was doing that, but I sort of accidentally ended up in Texas and at this place, and uh, and they were doing that. So I moved down there to, to work with them to to put on shows. So I put on three hundred shows in eight years.
0: Okay. Um, but and as a technician, right? So.
1: Yeah. Well, different thing, roles. I mean, I designed I pretty much designed lights and set for all of them. Wow. And. Um, you know we were not we didn't have big budget productions we had sort of quick everything was very quick or right. it would come to us kind of already finished and we would remount it right. um, so yeah I did a lot of stuff I did a lot of things I hadn't been doing before I mean I, I learned sound engineering for example when I hadn't been doing it before
0: right. yeah and um, yeah. We, talk, we talked in uh, uh, Providence Rhode Island during our, after Artifact and so we were talking about how um, was it family opera that you were, had to do, um, what was it? Uh, dry ice or the fog machine or something? Like that? Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Phantom. That was, I was on that particular show. I was queen of fog. So yeah, I yeah. had um, Hi. 50, we, go, we would go through 50 pounds of dry ice a night. That was pretty fun. All right. Goodness.
0: But yeah, but you're a technician. And so like, and can you describe like what, it, what's it like to be a technician on a show? Like, like how big the theater, what, what can not just, Illustrate it, Like your role as a technician, a professional going into it, like what would you have to do like in a normal to get the show ready and execute the show? Like what, what's that like?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, I worked at a lot of different theaters and a lot of different sizes, but I guess a, a typical day you, you go up at the theater like two or three hours early and tests. Maybe you're the lighting, um, Lighting board operator, right? So the first thing you got to do is turn on all the lights and go stand on the stage and take attendance, make sure everybody showed up for the day. <laughs> and, you know, maybe a lamp burned out or something and you need to get out the ladder and or a genie lift or whatever, climb up in the catwalks and uh, go replace the lamp on that instrument. So you, you get there early enough that you have time to do those kinds of repairs if they're needed. Right. Um, and then you go through, it's usually a very... It's like a flight checklist or something, like pilots, The way they have flight checklists, like it's some kind of thing. Ritual becomes a ritual of this is the thing you have to do. So if you're setting props because you're in charge of props for that show, then you you know they all have like there's a table and there's masking tape, uh, at least low budget masking tape. I don't know, maybe more budget theaters or something. uh, more high budget, but it, we would just masking tape out the tables, and there'd be like labels. It'd be like Sharpie marker saying, you know, oh, this bracelet goes here, the watch goes there, the hammer goes there, and um, you know, you make sure everything's exactly where it's supposed to be. Um, because when cast members come backstage and they're ready to grab something, um, they expect it to be in the exact same place every night. Like, right, that's the that's the idea. Uh-huh. Um, so you set the show, you get ready. Um, if it's still new, maybe just newly out of rehearsals, you go through some of the script and re- re, you know think th- remember thinking through what you need to do at, at what moment. Mm. And, uh, and then there's like a half an hour, 45 minutes where there's nothing to do um, because the idea is you got there so early that you can, you can fix any kind of emergencies. Right. And I always thought with that, as the audience member, you know, you're sort of standing out in the lobby with your ticket and you're waiting for them to open the doors. Right. Yeah. Um, or you go sit down in your seat and you're like waiting and waiting for them to get ready. And I always imagined that the, all the people were running around backstage, yeah. um, like trying to hurry up and finish to get ready. Right. No, they're back there bored. They're waiting for you. <laughs> <laughs> they're totally waiting for the audience to show up. Yeah they have nothing people have nothing to do they're just like dude to do they've been back there for you know 45 minutes before you got there with nothing to do um
0: so they're just really just like they're, they're a powder, powder kick ready to go off really just so watch
1: yeah everybody's getting ready and everybody's just sitting there and everybody's you know yeah. and then uh the show starts and that moment when the curtain rises if there's actually literally a curtain or when usually a show starts in the black the lights go down it's black and then it, the lights come up mm-hmm. and i love that moment of like the light it's just this moment of transformation where the world switches from kind of the banal mm-hmm. house manager get, making sure everybody's in their seat kind of ushers and what's my number and mm-hmm. to that like now we're in the fantasy world or the whatever world. Mm-hmm. it's not fantasy but um, it's just a magic moment I miss working in a medium where you can create that moment because right. it's just so amazing the start of the show. Mm-hmm.
3: There's got to be some CSS transition that has fog running <laughs> <coming> through.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's one of the things that I do miss about web design because when I've designed for theater, you know, designing lights or a set or cost—I mean, I, ne- I never did costumes, but other people do costumes. Um, you're mad, you know, and there's conversations because there's more than one designer on a show, usually on a on a decent sized show. You might have three or five designers and you're collaborating. So each person has their department that they're designing for. And there's a director who in some ways, I used to always think of the director being like in charge of everything, but in some ways really they're the, the project manager. I mean, they're the coordinator. They're the stage manager in a way as a project manager, but they're, but they're sort of coordinating the vision and they're you have all these different designers who each have a vision and they're just sort of making sure that they all go together and work together. Um, but you don't know as a designer. You're, you're, like, you're like, you have an idea of how you want the thing to work. And you have an idea of how this moment or this, or the actors too, and the director as well. Like this line in the text or this scene in the show. Like this idea of how it's going to have an impact on the audience. And you make all these choices to sort of shape that impact. But you have no idea if it's actually going to work or not until you do the show. And, but then you do know. Um, which is different than web design, because you watch everybody, you stand in the back of the theater um, and you can feel it, you can feel the energy of the audience, you can hear people laugh, you can see people sort of bored, you can see them gasp or right. freak out, you can see, you get that immediate impact right. on the decisions that you 've made and that 's something else that 's not really true in web design, where you know I guess you can collect statistics and data and you know <laughs> analytics or whatever, like this many people from. Pennsylvania are going to your website, but it's not the same thing. It's right. not this. You know, you can put them in a lab and behind, You can stand behind glass and watch people use your website, but that's such an artificial world that you're not actually getting to watch
0: them use your website. Though. Right? Yeah, I, I totally get that because because uh, we do conferences and you know you know speaking at conferences and speaking at conferences, I uh, it's you, you get that feeling of like knowing if you're if you're connecting or yeah or if you're not and, and what to do and stuff like that. So so it's it's. You know, I totally get that. And and as a conference organizer, I totally get the whole idea of of right before a show happens, something happens like when I we start a conference. Yeah. Like, like either like in control or artifact or whatever. Like it was all like you know, it's all like different components. And once you start it, once that time happens, it's 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 gonna be its own chapter or whatever, but it's it's gonna be we're writing this moment together. We're suspending a little bit of disbelief here and there. But this is it. This is the conference and stuff like that. And it, it's kind of weird how it, how it kind of takes off. Like Artifact Austin, it was just kind of amazing how that um, just took off like a rocket Like as soon as we started off. And there was so much energy in the room.
3: It was all started. that coffee they kept bringing us. Yes,
0: and the coffee too. And
3: teaching is that way too. I mean, I could be having the best day or the worst day, and it's like the second class starts. It's like doesn't matter what else is going on in the world as long as we're talking about responsive or whatever else. Some we're good. Yeah. yeah no, like, no fog machines in teaching, though. There
0: should be. No. <laughs> 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 she, some lasers, some fog, and just, yeah. like, just, yeah. Yeah.
1: Kind of good. Yeah, like, a Friday night audience is very different than a Saturday night audience.
0: Well, where's the difference between Saturday Like, and... I don't
1: know why, but it, for years and years in different states, it was still always the same difference. Where a Friday night audience will laugh much faster and um, and be a little bit more electric. Mm-hmm. So at a Saturday night, the same show, you know, the um, they're like, Meh. it's like everybody's tired, or they uh-huh. they don't respond as quickly, or they or they respond but they're much quieter about their responses. So maybe they're laughing, but they're laughing to themselves, or they
2: uh-huh.
1: they really like the show, but it doesn't feel that way from across the room.
0: Oh wow, okay.
1: It's and then you would like why? I don't know. Or that, did did everybody get drunk on Friday and? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and Saturday, I don't know, are errands that people run on Saturdays really that um, mm-hmm. tiring? It's funny, the difference, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, I, I, have, I worked with this one and, um, and he would always say like Friday night is awesome because you have this long weekend ahead of you. And then as they get cl- closer to the Sunday uh, afternoon or whatever, he would get tense up because he has to go back to work on Monday. And so I can see like how Friday be people be a lot more looser.
1: Yeah, they might be like, "It's Friday, and I'm at I'm out. I'm yeah. at a show." Oh. And then Saturday, they're like, "Whatever. This is not as exciting as I thought it would be." My weekend, my weekend is not as exciting as I thought it would be. Exactly. So. Yeah. Oh, all right. That's
0: yeah. So, do, do, are there ways that you would compensate for Friday versus Saturday off- audiences? Or
1: no, it would usually come up because cast members would be on stage, and you can't tell from stage nearly as well as you can tell from off stage um, what's happening. Uh-huh. And so you're on stage and you can sometimes tell that like there's something wrong. Like I've done shows, or not shows, I've done um, talks where like one talk I did a couple of years ago, I could tell there was something really wrong, but I couldn't tell what it was. Uh-huh. And it bothered me so much because I I felt like I had really failed uh-huh. in, I don't know, figuring out what content to share with this audience or in the way that I presented myself or just the whole thing was off kilter and I didn't have um you know anyone else there who could really help who I could talk to who could give me like feedback so I uh I went to another person who was speaking in the same room later that in that week and uh you can't hear in that room it was a horrible room like the echo was unbelievably bad um and so anyway so that's just to say that like sometimes it's very hard to tell from on stage so Actors would come off stage and they'd be like, "What's wrong with the audience tonight?" And we'd be like, "Ah, oh, Saturday night audience is fine. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, it's not. Don't worry. It's they're they they are really liking it. They're just being quiet about their their uh, what they like."
0: Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. is are, are are weird. Like it's it depends on where you are in the world. And yeah, you know, I thought about and also I guess the time of the week. I never really thought about it. an issue. Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah, and it, I mean, the people who speak at events apart. Because sometimes, some years, the there have been maybe half the speakers of the same talks and mm-hmm. they are in the same time slots relative to the show mm-hmm. and, and they give the exact same presentation, right? And so they get a chance to do that maybe six times or 12 times through the whole country. Mm-hmm. And And they then are able to say, oh, the Boston audience is like this or the San Francisco audience is like that or the Atlantic audience is – Atlanta is a little bit – like the regional differences in the geography and how people – how loud they are or not. Yeah, it's interesting.
0: Well, I do want to go back to the queen of fog and um, (laughs) describe what does it take to be a queen of fog.
1: Oh, you don't want me to tell you about that particular show? Yeah,
0: because because uh, we talked about it as a
1: yeah. yeah I told you uh, the story. Uh, and, yeah, I love that story. And, so, much. <laughs> so um, let me see. So, gosh, I was probably twenty, and th- that theater is a great theater. It's about two thousand seats in the round. Mm-hmm. The stage is round. There's no wall on the stage. There's no backstage um, in that way. There's a there's a pit below the stage with an orchestra, and in that show, I think we. Sometimes we put an elevator, like one of the shows I did that year, we did an elevator in the stage. Um, but yeah, so there was, dry ice is very expensive, at least it used to be in relative to other options, very, very expensive. But it's great because it hangs really close to the floor when you're trying to create fog and have the fog kind of rolling across the stage. Um, the other option is to use Roscoe Fog. Roscoe's a theatrical supply company and they would make this chemical and you could Throw it through, you could blow it through these machines and it creates fog. That, you see that a lot more in, in rock and roll shows, um, Roscoe Fog. Uh, but it has a tendency to disperse and sort of, because dry ice is cold, so it hangs low because it's cold. Where Roscoe Fog just kind of blows through the whole room in the air. Uh, so for this one cue at the end of uh, the beginning of Act Two after the intermission, the idea was that the Phantom would be standing in this boat. Um, and the boat is, I don't know, five feet long, a couple feet wide. Uh, the, the girl is, 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 it's a very patriarchal show. The girl is like sprawled across the boat and the phantom's rowing this boat. And so the boat needs to move by itself across stage. So another one of the stagehands, I forget his name, poor guy. He, he, would, <laughs> he was under the boat, like in this little tiny two foot wide, four foot long, two foot high space under the boat. And they mounted a bicycle helmet in the in the front of the boat in the bow. And he pushed, he would just push it with his head. He was crawling on the floor.
0: Oh man.
1: <laughs> yeah. Pushing it with his head with two people in it, right? And it was on wheels. But um, yeah. And so it was my job to get the entire stage, this, I don't forget how big, 25 foot, 35 foot, round mm-hmm. area covered with fog. So the the um the folks who built the whole set, they built a 50 gallon oil drum that was full of water that had heaters in it that I would turn on at the beginning of the show. So by the time we got to intermission, the water was boiling. Mm. And so I don't know, I should be talking, saying all these things in metric too. I don't know what these are in metric, <laughs> but, uh, but it's probably like 60 gallons of water or, you know, 40, it's like 40, 30, 40 gallons of water in there. Mm-hmm. And then the top of the, uh, barrel on the top, one or two feet of the barrel, there was a a basket and a wooden lid and a pole that would go through the wooden lid and hold the basket. So I would load the basket up with I would take the dry ice and I'd break it up into bits and um, put all the bits into the basket and then hold it. And it was so hot, so I was holding everything with these giant, thick leather gloves. And um, and at the right time I would plunge the uh, pole down into the barrel, which would push the basket into the the boiling water and it would just Immediately, take the dry ice from being in an ice stage into being a gas stage. And, and there were fans, and there were these um, tubes, and the air would go out the tubes and carry the dry ice fog out the tubes. Um, and I would stand. I would like immediately after plunging into the water, I would climb up the scaffolding and hold uh, one or two of the tubes in my, with my gloves at the top and point them. And I was on headsets to the stage manager because I could not see this stuff. So, I mean, closed circuit video was too expensive at the time and you right. know i mean we had a little bit of it in black and white but not for this and uh and so he, he he or she would tell me like how to point it and how it was going and which way to go and right. yeah, it was complicated i had a lot of stuff i had to set up and move around and carry and
0: so so if i get this right so you're you're blind pretty much right yeah and then you're waiting for someone to tell you where to put the fog yeah <laughs> so it's just like an all night is like
1: and I'm like standing on a you know a scaffolding fifteen feet above a cement slab mm-hmm. directly underneath the stage, which is a temporary you know thing it's not like so then my head is like I'm like my body's like smooshed up right underneath the stage, holding these insanely hot tubes, trying not to burn myself right trying trying to point it in the correct direction right. well this kid is pushing this uh <laughs> with his head
0: and so and while these actors are trying to portray like a nice you know yeah scene like i don't know like I don't know what the scene, that, christine
1: yeah. probably had it bad too she was probably bumping a bump 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 and she's like trying to lay there pretending like she's <laughs> being romantically charmed by this man who's kidnapping her and taking her off to get raped <laughs> <But> <laughs> it's supposed to be romantic
0: right i yeah. guess i guess fog helps i guess i don't know whatever uh-huh.
1: Well, lighting, that's the lighting. I mean, the lighting can be so beautiful. And I, and I think the lighting for that cue is amazing. And the audience, because you could hear them gasp sometimes because it would be dark. It'd be black. Because mm-hmm. you also want to do those really fast. That's the magic. Where you, you? know, Oh, they're like, oh, they got their drink and they got their, oh, it's ding, ding. Time to go back to your seats. They go back to their seats. They sit down. The lights go down. And I don't know, you know, one, two, five seconds go by and uh, lights come back up. And oh, my gosh, there's a boat moving magically across the stage. There must right. be some amazing robot that's doing that. <laughs> <laughs> just a guy
3: with a bike helmet.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, and then, it, you know, there's two foot of fog covering this 40 foot round yeah. uh, thing that w- the fog wasn't there five seconds ago. You know, like it, yeah. that's the idea is to try to get it really um, fast and magical.
0: So basically, it's just a quick turnaround time in terms of like trying to do something like no one would really expect. They yeah. To have that break?
1: Yeah, stagecraft. I mean, to work with, especially if you have a chance to work with a real stage manager, a professional equity stage manager, mm-hmm. and all the rules and the way that that, in a way an equity show runs, there's just a, there's a lot around um, how a show gets called. So the stage manager is following the script or following the score mm-hmm. and right at spe- very specific moments. And you rehearse those moments until everybody has them down. The stage manager says a very specific thing, mm-hmm. usually a number or a series of numbers, and um, and everybody moves on that one particular number.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's very manual, but yeah, you can get some great magic out of out of that.
0: So is that is that what the word is equitable? Is that right? Is that, equity, equity. Equity
1: is a union. It's an actors and stage okay. managers
0: union. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, and so, what? How do they call a show is different than.
1: Um, they don't everybody should follow <laughs> <laughs> equity stage manager rules, which is what I tried to tell the state of Texas when I moved there but, uh, but they um frequently don't because people just haven't learned that level of professionalism and they uh just kind of make up some way to do it or they don't you know they don't coordinate sometimes up at theaters where kind of the lighting person decides when to do the lighting cues and the sound person decides when to do the sound cues and, the, and they're never timed together because there's no one making those two events happen at the same moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in a way it's like programming, you know, good programming. Mm-hmm. You, you have certain events that trigger other things and if you want things to happen in a certain magical way, you can make sure that all your events are going to get timed together rather than letting things kind of happen, happen in a more messy way.
0: She brings yeah. it back to programming. Yep. There you go.
3: There's so many overlaps I yeah, never thought pro- about before until now.
0: See, you're a pro because you're bringing back to web development right there. So.
1: Well, that's <laughs> what it's funny because I used to have a hard time knowing how to describe myself as a web designer because mm-hmm. I've not, you know, I wasn't designing uh, professional commercial websites out of New York in 1996. You know, I wasn't working on mm-hmm. the, the first tableless website you know, big ESPN.com or the MTV.com or the, you know, like some, some people, some of the people I know, they worked on amazing, amazing projects way back in the day. Um, and I was off doing these other things. And so it's like, well, does, does that count? Does my career count? Does it? And the more that the web gets away from being a series of static documents Uh and the more the web becomes a medium for real-time communication or, animation interactivity or the more I'm like well I already know a lot about this because I did filmmaking for, th- for five years or I know a lot about this because I did theater professionally for you know 12 or 15 years I already know a lot of like motion and movement and how to get um, how to get like how to create an artistic moment or an emotional moment or a certain kind of effect from uh, there's a huge amount of overlap a huge mm-hmm. amount it's really interesting I'm trying
3: to think of what uh, parts from theater would be CSS or HTML or mm-hmm. JavaScript or PHP, yeah. and I still think the fog should be a CSS transition.
1: <laughs> I'm sure if we go to a uh, code pen, we could find some fog. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be so great.
0: But yeah, but I do like the idea of doing something impressive quickly as a stagecraft because I feel like um, I actually mean, we still were kind of running into this again. But like for a while, we like no one cared about. Uh, web page size load or whatever. It seems like no one would, you know, care about it until like mobile mm-hmm. has risen. Now we have to care about, um, you know, bandwidth issues and stuff like that. But uh, back in the day, you know, you didn't have like, people had 56K modems maybe and stuff like that. So
1: Yeah, we cared about it a lot then. Yeah,
0: and so it's, and so it was always interesting how we could optimize things for big impact. You know, like we would actually like, people know, you know knew the spec for GIF, you know, or GIF or, GIF, whatever you want to say it, you know, and knew how to optimize it and presentations for that and and new like, JPEG, compression. Like, one thing I don't really see JPEG, compressions a lot is uh, and um, it was actually I think built into Photoshop, but they took it out, but you can actually, like, blur parts of a photo mm-hmm. to get compression there, but then if you had a part that you wanted crisp, you could actually kind of mask that area and it wouldn't um, it wouldn't be there. So you could actually like, bring a selection in Photoshop and and um, wow. so that way you would have like, you have all the compression on the blurries parts of an image that you didn't want that didn't matter. But like, so it'd be really great for that's that sort of thing. So you don't really see that in tools. Yeah,
3: that, they just have the, like the one blur that's yeah. in the save for web option, but that's for the whole yeah, thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so that's kind of a tool that we had around back in the early days. We're just trying to like maximize a lot of things. And so, and also just trying to get more bang for the buck. And I think you can, oh, again, right, hear my voice now. Whoa. Oh, you can.
1: Sorry, that's yeah. my that's my fault. Yeah. Is it still like that?
0: Uh, testing one two three. No, that's good. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Who's that? Not voice in the background. That's fine. Awesome. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, um, but yeah. So yeah. So I appreciate that because in terms of making something really impressive really quickly, I think that's kind of a uh, rediscovered art. I think now with mobile uh, that we're trying to trying to find and how to, how to make things really fast and uh, but still you know do something really cool. Winslow.
1: It's true to know how to, um, I mean, theater definitely knows how to do that. How do you make something amazing out of something, out of not very much?
0: Right. So, yeah, so it's like, um, that's why I like splash pages a lot.
1: <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> splash page is like, oh, wow, cool. I mean like, uh, you have to load it. So. I'm nodding my head. You just can't see
3: it. <laughs>
2: no,
0: no, no, no one hates, no one likes splash pages anymore. So, but, um, but that was a real good way because, like, you just load, like, a simple logo and then mm-hmm. people are like, oh, okay. That's what's coming up. And then uh, and then, um, and then you set the tone for the rest of the site. So. But, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll just say I never say it's the last page. We'll just move on. I oh,
3: <laughs> Can it's burned into my mind right <laughs> <laughs> now.
0: So but, uh, let's go back. So, uh, so you're 1995 uh You went to go learn. You didn't know what the web was. And uh, so how did you go from, like, what was the next step after you learned about the web? Like, how did you, what was the next steps?
1: Well, I um, I had, meanwhile, always wanted to be an artist when I was a little kid, thought that that wouldn't happen because we lived in a electoral democracy, not a republic with a king or a queen. <laughs> this is when I was really little, right? So I was like, there's no king to pay artists, so I can't be an artist because artists won't make, don't make any money. Mm-hmm. Um, so I... But I still always wanted to be an artist. So I would look for ways to do something in the arts where I could actually make a living. And um, graphic design became part of that. So back in 88, I bought a Mac and had uh, super paint. Uh. And that made me a graphic artist. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I was making a lot of um, posters for the theater department and... Then I got a job in a little print shop over the summer, one summer, and did uh, a lot of, of, you know, work for clients. So we were creating work for clients and uh, and then printing them, too, which was way better than I tried to get a job at, like, a place where we, we would only design and then send it out. But it was. I'm so lucky that they didn't have any jobs. And instead, I got a job at the place where we would, build, we would actually print it because I learned all about the printing press. And I did a lot of the process, burning, um, stripping flats and burning plates and mm. like, so I learned all this technology. I mean, this is the theme of my career, right? I like, I want to be an artist. I like the creative parts. I'm a good designer and I love the technology and everything about how like the technical stuff works mm. so that I can, um, just cause it's cool. Cause I like it. So I learned how to, uh, run a folding Machine and do bindery and you know staple booklets and use the big cutting machine and and learned how to do um, professional quality xeroxing and because there's a big difference between just slapping it on a xerox machine and making something come out of a xerox machine in such a way that it really looks like it came off an offset printer.
3: I really, I really wish a lot of that stuff was in m- more design classes because it's it's really important to know like exactly what you're saying with knowing the technique really informs kind of what you can do with it. There's yeah. So many people that don't know, you know what where channels come from in Photoshop, or at least for me, I make that connection between, you know, CMYK channels and and plates in the same way that you know if you're printing on a Heidelberg press, you have your CMYK and you can kind of look at it that way and see how those colors kind of overlap, and it's just a pity that more people don't know about it because it's really cool and it's really interesting.
1: Yeah, and if you really understand dot gain, you can make much better work, more beautiful work, than mm-hmm. if you don't really know what dot gain is or you've heard the word, you looked it up once, and like it's funny because sometimes designers come out of art school and they, they, you know, they're like, I don't need to learn CSS, I don't want to know the code, I want to. <laughs> Design in this pure environment it was just like it's just pure art, pure aesthetics, and I'm not hindered by the technical limitations and be bogged down by all that, you know, lower blue <laughs> blue collar worker stuff because I'm the, you know, I'm the artiste. And, uh, and it's like are, you think you're a graphic designer because you did some um, projects in school, but do you realize that you don't know anything about how to pick paper, how to adjust your halftones for dot gain, how to uh-huh. like. Bindery, have you ever sent a job to the post office to go through bulk mail and had it and get rejected because it's the wrong size? Like, you need to know the bulk mailing post office regulations in the United States if you want to work as a graphic designer. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's just all these things that are very, very technical that um, mm-hmm. you can't get around. You know, there's no purity. There's, there's, and you know, there's a, on one hand, you can learn them in depth, and on the other hand, you can just learn what you need to know, but right. you got to learn at least some of it.
0: Right. So, this is a good trade off, right? Like, how much do you need to know? To be, like, do you need to know enough or, or just, and like, are you going to be more proficient at it? Or like, is there a fine point, like, or optimal point? Or is it just, are you yeah. want, do you want to be a specialist?
1: Right. Well, and I love it. And I feel like, um, you know, there is a need for specialization. And things have gotten so complicated in all these different worlds, whether you're talking about uh, web or printing or things like theater, so specialization is important and it's there. that's the reality that we live in for sure. But I do think that there's something really beautiful and there's something about true craftsmanship that isn't about specializing. It's about deeply, deeply understanding your craft and continuing to learn throughout your entire life and not being afraid of any particular slice of the craft and saying, oh, that's not me. I don't do that. But saying, all right, well, let me learn some more about that too. Um, and recognize your own strengths and, you know, lean into your own strengths and, and specialize in what you're really good at. But, um, you know, if you think about, I don't know, people, blacksmiths and metal workers and all these, just this long, long, long tradition of craftsmen who, mm-hmm. it's an art and there's something beautiful in what they're doing. And it's very technical and it's very physical, you know, sometimes. And it's all of those things are bound together.
0: Yeah, well, like, I appreciate people calling, like, approaching web design development as a craft. But if you could compare it to, like, a blacksmith or something like that, it's just, like, you know, they didn't have the internet or the web constantly changing, you know, constantly changing their industry, like, as much, like, you know, they're, like, sharing information and so on. So it's kind of hard for them to, like, you know, you know, change the whole idea of, like, you know, applied heat to metal, and banging on an anvil and stuff like that. So I think that's.
1: I think things, I think it's true that things are changing right now faster than ever. Um, This particular medium is changing much faster than the ones that have come before it. But in some ways it's only changing this fast because it's new, like it's, I don't think it's always gonna change this fast. Mm -hmm. And also it's, um, that's sort of the, um, there's something about our lives that are, that's accelerating and changing and the, you know, the industrial revolution being followed by the information age. There's been it's about two hundred years of, of amazing change that's been happening and um, this is just we're just you know, we're just on the end of this this long this long thing that's been happening. So the um Well I'm, I'm sorry, I'm getting distracted. Can you hear that vacuum? A
0: little bit. that's okay. Oh, I can
1: go tell him to not vacuum. Oh, right. That's, that's right. Yeah, I mean I think that other mediums have also gone through a tremendous amount of change. Like radio changed, television changed, uh, television disrupted radio, mm-hmm. filmmaking. I mean, filmmaking has is changing more slowly, and but it's been, and it's not just changing because of digital at this point. It's changed. You know, if you look at what filmmaking was in 1920, and you look at it, what it was in 1940, and then 1960, like there was a lot of stuff changing through there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know blacksmithing changed (coughs) part of why things like the renaissance happened Mm -hmm. is because new technologies came along and uh, it changed what was possible and so new possibilities meant all kinds of other things happened um, so that I think I mean it it ebbs and flows and so for maybe one individual person in the 20 years or the 40 years of their career Mm -hmm. maybe there wasn't very much change but there have been plenty of instances and examples in history where something happened and then there was a lot of change. And so different craftsmen of all different kinds had to change pretty drastically and do change what they were doing at the time.
3: How do you keep yourself up to date with everything that is changing?
1: Um, I listen to my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the web ahead. People should listen to it. They'll, then they can keep up with change. Um,
3: I guess, how
1: do you research for your show then to make sure that you are ahead? Right, I know. I just thought I'd throw that little <laughs> of my show in there, I guess. Um, a Twitter from other people. I mean, I, I think I learn mostly from if not exclusively from other people. So it's just kind of knowing who to follow or who to listen to or who to, um, Pay attention to, and when they start talking about something, being like, "Oh, I should go learn about that. I should read about that because that's probably going to become a thing." Um, yeah, I think we're all learning from each other all the time.
3: Yeah. I think yeah, Twitter definitely helps bring everybody together that way. Yeah, for sure.
0: So yeah, so like I guess the Renaissance happened because of the the printing press and you know a newfound belief in. You know, sharing information so that Imagine yeah, that. it
1: happened because people could share information across generations because they could make books.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, so like I can definitely see that like your information became portable and uh, mass
3: producible
0: and people could you know different languages and so that so and uh, mess yeah definitely, but uh, yeah, so there's the public sharing and so that so I definitely see you know you know, blacksmithing better, like, you know, really up on blacksmithing, you know, right then. Uh,
1: well, people learn from each other. I mean, yeah. and, you know, maybe that's a bad example. Maybe I should go get myself a better. I'll
0: try to beat you up over it for it's the next yeah. 15
1: minutes. It, so. I mean, if you, you know, carpenter, if you think about a carpenter and you think, oh, well, what's there to new to learn about carpentry? Yeah. Like, no, material prices have changed very radically over the last 30 years. Mm-hmm. And that's affected how things get built pretty deeply. And, uh, people had to get very creative because lumber got expensive and, um, you know, there's new stuff to learn. There's new tools that came out. The batteries that came out made it possible to have battery operated power tools that are really powerful that didn't used to exist. And so that changed a lot of the practices and the ways that people do things. And there's always a way to get better at your own art. There really is. Now, is, is, were those changes as big and as fast as, responsive web design. Like I don't. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe that's a dumb argument. But right. yeah. it, it would be naive to say mm-hmm. nothing has changed in carpentry during our lifetimes. It's like, mm-hmm. no, it changed when I was working as a theater carpenter. Like even right. in those few years. It was you know you couldn't we weren't making the same decisions in one year as we had been making the three or four years before because things were changing.
0: Right. I mean, yeah, it's just yeah, I just don't see a blacksmith making a sword that's also a dagger. It's also a butter knife, you know, so, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I think things are just changed because um uh, one thing is, I feel like, you know, I re- I've written like 10 plus books or whatever and, and some of them are just, you know, they're not even, you know, useful anymore because the software that you need to make, you know, I wrote about is, isn't available. It was just, they're history books that, uh, you know, for like Photoshop, I don't know, 8 or, or CS or whatever, version one or whatever, it's just, it's no longer around. So, it changes so fast that, um, you know, there's still some, I, I find that there's, like, we, we talked about the progressive JPEG compression and some like of that. So, so, there's still stuff that's in there, but people just don't use as much uh, anymore. Like, uh, a while back as, you know, I think it was not too long ago, someone was like, oh, you can make progressives JPEG. You know, you make JPEGs progressive. I was like, yeah, we, we've known about that for a long time. I just... You know, why is it all of a sudden a new thing? All of a sudden, like that's that's something that we should have done. But it's only because we need to have that that you know transitional rendering of the image come in to to say, like, hey, image is coming in. Just wait a second. It's good. It's going to be awesome. So, so yeah,
1: there are a lot of things, a lot of techniques, and a lot of um, sort of the way we looked at how things should be built or are built or what techniques we use to build them. A lot of the techniques from the '90s in web design development, or at the time, as it was called, mm. web mastery. <laughs> <laughs> um, it went away, right? At some point, it was like, oh, don't do that anymore. That was bad. Right. And now many of those things have all come back. It's it's like mm. what well, we kept saying, Jeremy and Keith are saying this too, like what's old is new again. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of things, it was like, why did we stop doing that? We should be doing that now. That's a good idea. Yeah, right. that's interesting.
0: Yeah, well, like, no, I think it's I think it's just, um, I used to say this in my talk. I'm not sure, you know, but it's just um, we always believed that we were kind of building uh, agnostically. It doesn't matter who, like what browser we we're using. But we always had that underlining, the underlining of we're the browser will be at least 960 pixels wide, right or more, right? And now it's like no, you can't even deal with that anymore. And then the you know, iPhone Retina came out, and now we have to deal with. The image density and some of that so now we're actually trying to find out what we've kind of told ourselves that we were doing like so many 10 years 15 years ago that we're building communication that will like expand the number of devices a uh, number of geographies uh, bandwidth issues that uh, we are trying I think we're actually trying to build a, a more true web communication than we had before. I wonder
1: if part of the problem is that there weren't that many people on the web for quite a while. And so there were even fewer people who knew how to build websites. Mm -hmm. And then the web became very popular in the U.S. at least, um, like like 2000 to 2004. It feels like, I wish I had some stats on this, but it just Mm -hmm. feels like we went from, you know, 20 to 40, 30 percent of the people in the country being on on the Internet Mm -hmm. on a regular basis, like every day, Mm -hmm. especially high speed. You know, it used to be you had to dial up on your modem, right? And then you hang up. (laughs) Uh, And we and it just sort of transitioned into 60, 70, 80 percent of the population of the U.S. being on some sort of at least part of the day, perhaps usually at work, some kind of Internet connection where it just was open and on the whole time. And uh, and so I think probably the number of people who work in the industry in the web design, web development industry just exploded. Uh-huh. And so there's all these people who got started in the somewhere between two thousand two and two thousand six or something. Uh-huh. And and so they all showed up and they were like, Well, this is the way it's done. You build these things in Flash, you everything's nine sixty. Like there are all these ideas that um, I mean there's all there was so much innovation and experimentation and crazy Like everybody doing it differently in the 90s and then things sort of, we got so sick of it and so tired of fighting bugs and the whole browser wars and the lack of web standards and it became so painful
2: Uh
1: that I think by the time we got to like 2002, 2003, 2004 we were so so thankful to just say just 960 don't worry about the screen size Uh just this, just use this, don't worry about that Uh only do it this way, don't ever worry about that way Like we don't have to now worry whether we're on a 24.4 baud modem or a uh-huh. A fifty-six point six, but like we don't have just because I remember being like, well, we have to squish the image this much, and then new modems would start to come out. It's like, oh, we don't have to squish it quite that much, but we do right. squish it this much, right? It's all of a sudden everybody was like, relax, just don't worry about any of those things, and it feels like there's a whole generation of web designers and developers who showed up at that, who they started their careers uh-huh. at that moment, and somehow they think that because they, the way they learned to do it first. Uh-huh. Was the only way it had ever been, and is the only way it should ever be in the future. And then now right. the things have all changed. They're all like, "Oh my god, I can't believe it's changing." It's like, "Well, well yeah, I can't what, believe it stayed the same for as long as <laughs> yeah. it did." Like, yeah, you just said something about oh nine everything's nine sixty like, but but remember when it was all eight hundred? Remember? Yeah, when yeah. It was all six six forty. Do you remember when it was all?
0: 8? I didn't say eight hundred six hundred. Like, oh man, that was terrible times.
1: Yeah, like uh, I remember debating: Is this the moment we can start assuming that most everybody has an eight hundred pixel wide browser, or <laughs> do we have to keep making everything to the to six forty? Uh-huh. And and being finally at a point where it's like, okay, we can stop assuming. It was like dropping IE six support or something. It's like, can we finally drop six forty support? <laughs> <laughs> and and getting to the place where like, okay, now, okay, now we can finally make website's really big at 800 pixels wide okay.
3: can we drop the splash page that has the <laughs> click here enter here if you use ie6
1: yeah Oh man. well even the idea of having navigation like this list of links in a horizontal line across the top of the page that mm-hmm. there was years before that idea showed up yeah In mainstream you know sort of default use yeah,
0: yeah so i think like the i think um For the US, this is my personal history on it. it It's just that the dot com happened, boom, then the dot com crash happened. And so, um, and uh, the industry kind of left. Like, people had to go find other jobs or something like that because there was enough to sustain it. And so, I think 2004 is like when the industry was kind of healing itself and trying to come back. And without the help of a press that was like fanatically talking about Netscape, you know. You know, IPO stocks and whatever, and you know, pets.com or whatever. So, and then so that's the year that's it's like, I think around that time, that's when people realized, like, for like, and especially been in this industry since then, it's just like, yeah, there's no way in heck that the web's gonna go away. You know, you just, it's just like this, this is the stupidest idea at the time. It's like, it's so ingrained, it's so much better to enjoy other things. So, by that time, yeah, I could see like, and then plus with IE actually pulling out of development that time, things could actually get a little bit more standardized and,
1: Yeah, when IE6 came out, things improved quite a bit.
0: Yeah, so...
1: We curse it now, but at the time, it actually was insanely helpful. Yes.
0: yeah. Uh
3: Somewhere in that time, too, I think it was also, at least for me, I noticed it was that at least web design was talked about more with just the general public, people who weren't previously doing anything on the web other than checking email or using ICQ or or AOL or whatever else, because there were things like even MySpace, where it's like, if you want to change the color of your background, just copy and paste this code, and FFF is this color, and right. 000 is this, and I think that was also a time where people realized, like, oh, this is actually made up of something, and it is something that can change, and I think more people got interested in it. Mm-hmm. At least I yeah. think that's what was going on between 2002 and 2004, at least for me.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it seems like, I f- and I forget about the .dot .com, because I was sort of isolated from it, but that's true, that there was probably a a contraction. I mean, not probably true. It was true. There was a contraction and it may have really been after that, like you said, after, after things sort of recovered, that recovery became not just a, going back to the size of the industry that it had been before, but that things really started to explode then. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When we sort of say everything's changed, we're really trying to, you know, it's like we, we don't Think all the way back. A lot of people don't think all the way back to like '98. They think all the way back to like 2004. Right.
0: Yeah, yeah, because I think it's just um, yeah. I think the rate is, is things are always changing. I think the rate is now faster. I think when you have the browsers updating themselves so fast, and um, yeah. and now well, and now that we have like uh, my joke is that uh, Skynet is written in JavaScript. Just because like I think JavaScript is going to take over the world, and it started. You have JavaScript everywhere now, so I think that's that just kind of amazes me and and uh, impresses me, and I think that's like you now that's where I would go. You know, if, if I was starting out again, I just like just learn JavaScript.
1: And, I know. I wish a, I'd learned JavaScript years ago.
0: Yeah. So, because I think that's just yeah, that's the way things are. I think that's the language of the web, pretty much. And whereas you know, CSS is a design language, and like now with Canvas, maybe you know some programmers are like, oh, we don't need. To, anymore? I just think that really cool canvas thing.
3: I mean, it kind of goes back to what Jen was saying. Like, we can't just be designers with the aesthetic anymore. So we can't just do the HTML and CSS thing. Mm-hmm. It has to have this level of understanding how it's going to work, mm-hmm. how it's going to function, how it's going to interact with other devices, other pages. Mm-hmm. People still say pages.
0: Pages. Yeah, yeah they <laughs> just went back. Yeah.
3: But or sites or APIs or whatever else um, that it needs to involve itself with, and it can't just be the HTML and CSS stuff anymore.
1: Yeah, if we had only all been able to learn JavaScript instead of ActionScript. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't
0: know.
3: Trying, I was just what was it? Stop semicolon.
0: Yeah,
3: that's all but, I remember.
0: But I mean, it's still like it's still amazing that we can do with um, with just a browser, text pad, or Notepad, and just. Uh, with some web space. And so you don't even need web space now. You just make your own blog and stuff like that. So, and, um, or social media accounts. Like I don't like think social media account, But, uh, yeah, because that's one of the things I, um, um Sean O'Keefe, who, who we had here on the show, is um, one of the things I love that he says, he's, a, uh, I think, the uh, director, I don't know if the exact title, but he's director of uh, South By.
3: He's the interactive uh, interact, track producer. Yeah, yeah.
0: track producer of South By Southwest. And so one of the things he, he says in, is that uh, own your own code, own your own data. Mm-hmm. And just so that, don't put everything on Facebook. Yeah, you can put things on Facebook for your family and friends or whatever. But just make sure you have it so that you can control it yeah. if you need to in case you know Facebook decides to do something you didn't like or you need to do something with it. So and I think. Yeah, there's
1: that, a whole movement that's identified itself as the Indie Web Movement. Yeah. Um, Tantek Solik has been talking a lot about this and Jeremy Keith. And there's a whole group of folks who've been um, really having some camps, Indie Web Camp. Mm -hmm. Um, You can go to indiewebcamp.com and check out some of the work they've been doing. Um, Absolutely, and saying sort of remind again, you know, it's the same idea of people who sort of dropped into the web around 2005 or something um, as as makers rather than just users. How do how do how do we sort of Teach people about and the web has been around long enough, it seems like there are now second and third generations of people coming along mm-hmm. who didn't weren't there at the beginning, right. So they don't know the values that were inherent at the beginning of the web. And and it feels, in a way, to me, like Indie Web is like, Well, duh, these are all the things we've been talking about since the very beginning, yeah. But not everybody was there in 1995, 96, so
0: right. um, or 92, 93. <laughs> well, that's like, um, I think, uh, I think I mentioned this on our other show, but uh. uh Selman used to be part of this uh, thing called the Independence Day, where it was like not Independence Day, but like Independence Day, and so it was all about owning your own blog and owning your own content and stuff like that. And so, and so there's, and it was pretty big. We were like, you know, publish your own stuff and put it out there. So, and that's one of the things that got me interested in web because I started as a print designer, and as and I just the headaches of printing and going to a print shop and then dealing with the client and doing all this stuff like that. And then let's say you mess up your job for your client. Then you have to go eat that and have to go get it republished and republished.
1: Yeah. There's a risk in print where yeah. you, you know, you, you get to run everything across the printing press one time. Right. And now we're, and if you've made mistakes, you yeah. know, if you have a typo, if you put Friday, right. December 13th, when you meant, you know, right. or de- Friday, December 12th, when you meant Friday, December 13th. And yeah. Yeah. Um, they, they, you can't fix it yeah
0: Yeah, and you have like blue lines we have to like you know get proofing off the blue line trick line oh yeah the blue line yeah so yeah that's just like annoying uh, and I then, just got
1: bored with the web frankly I mean yeah. not, not <laughs> the web I got, with print I just got bored like we used to because we couldn't afford to do full color so we do a lot of one color printing but perhaps black and white sometimes we do blue or purple you know shake it up uh, and then we could sometimes afford two color like that was really so I do some duotones Right. Do, do the photos in duotone, and maybe we do black and white in accent color. Right. And then at some point, speaking of change, the big change in the printing industry is that four color became affordable. So then you could yeah. do four color printing, yeah. um, mm-hmm. which was exciting for a while. But then after that, I just got really bored. So yeah, the web seemed much more interesting to me.
0: Yeah, and just and the fact that I could design something and just have someone across the world see it. Yeah, just like just blew my mind. Whereas like. I would have to print it, mail it, ship it, and wait—you know—for them to go see it. You know, print. So, so yeah. So, I, you know, there's—I mean, it's, it's so basic to people who are on the web right now and, and what, what that means. But you know, there's a period of time where you didn't have to—you know—people didn't know what there wasn't a term called web design back in the day, which is making me feel really old. So, um,
3: the idea of archiving it too, I think, is really important. And I know Jeremy has talked about that on your show, Jen, about just when it's your own data, you can save it. You don't have to worry about. Something like um, a service getting bought out and then being shut down. And you know, mm-hmm. if you want, want to download your data, click here, and we'll send you an email in four days with a zipped uh, folder link that you can download everything right. as a text document or this and that. And
0: right, like especially like I love Koala, right? I was a big Koala fiend. Mm-hmm. They were supposed to have tools as I got like, bought by some social media company, which I don't know, I won't name. But <laughs> uh, they were supposed to have tools that would export all your data, right? And so they never got around to actually building those. Yeah. So all that data is like. You know, all the places I've been to uh for the time that like, while I was around. I don't know I don't know what's
1: Yeah. So I mean it's where you like you look at Tantec, he doesn't put things on Twitter. He doesn't make tweets on Twitter, he puts everything on his own website and then he's got scripts running mm-hmm. so that then it tweets are created mm-hmm. and when you're on Twitter following him, you'll see what he wrote, but he didn't write it directly on you know, he's so if Twitter shut down mm-hmm. or if Twitter suddenly decided, you know, you will never have access to anything older than three months old. And everything else is gone. Like he has his own archive of all the tweets he's ever written. The <laughs> rest of us schmucks
0: are <laughs> mere mortals,
1: Yeah. And it's funny because I think for, you know, I, uh, even when you have your own, you've put everything on your own system, right? It's on your own domain name or it's, it's under some sort of, it's in a database that you control or it's photos that are in your. Control, and then you put them on Instagram instead of only having a copy on Instagram. Um, Even when we do that, I think there's a a tendency to think, I don't care about this stuff. Like I had a blog from 2002 to 2007, probably, um, where in some ways it was Twitter for me. It it was me pointing to things on the internet that were interesting. Uh Me saying, hey, you should check out this video. You should check out this... um, blog post or, oh, I really like this thing. Sometimes I write my own original stuff. Lots of times I point to other people's stuff. Um, and in some ways I did that po- that blog because I had a lot of friends who were just getting on the internet for the very first time and they didn't know what to read or they didn't know where to go, right? Um, if we can vaguely remember a time when that was true. <laughs> People were new to the web and they didn't know what to do with it. Uh, and then, you know, I took it down and I was like, I don't want this anymore. This is no relevance to me or my life. You know, I I could easily have kept a database of it, but I don't think I did. Uh-huh. And now here I am years and years later, and I'm like, man, I wish I knew where that was. Right. I, maybe I've redone my own personal website. That was not the first version of web, my website. I had a couple other versions before that. Like, I have not been good about keeping my own archives, right? Um, whether I kept them online or whether I didn't. And there are other people, Jeremy is one of them, who are, are of the mindset of like, don't erase anything. Just like Jason Santamaria, if you go to his website, yeah. he's re- completely redesigned his website several times. And rather than taking his old content and sticking it into the new design, he's just kind of created he like would move the old website off into a subdomain. So it'd be like v onejasonsantamariacom dot com, yeah. V two dot Santa Maria dot com. So he's like on version four or five, but he's got those old versions. Um you, you know, and whether he keeps he it just it's a way to like we should. The moral of the story is that we should all actually don't throw things away. You're uh-huh. gonna you're gonna want them. You know, uh-huh. you're gonna be 65 years old and you're gonna wish you had been able to see the website that you built when you were 25. Uh-huh. And, um, whether they're online or not is a. You know, some people would say you should absolutely leave everything online. Uh-huh. I can understand how you might want to take something down, uh-huh. but take it down and put it somewhere. You know, in the cloud that it's private and you can. Um, Put it back up later when you get old and want to remember the past. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because yeah. I remember this is a website I, I built, one of the first ones I built that was on a floppy disk, and I lost that floppy disk. I have no idea where it is. Uh,
1: I, I was very careful to archive a ton of t- t- my work on nice, perfectly labeled CDs. <laughs> and now I'm scared. I, I, I'm actually undertaking a project to take a lot of, I mean, I'm sitting next to a pile of slides. of... of theater design work that I've done that I'm going to scan in and put on the web. Oh, nice. Um, but I'm scared to get my, all my CDs down because I'm not sure that they're going to mm-hmm. be readable. Right. I think well, they may have disintegrated.
0: Yeah, so like part of my job, like, I think I may us talk about this on Jeremy's show that we did, but uh, mm-hmm. part of my job, like, from after grad school, I went into, I did a IT job. My IT job was, like, digitization and archiving efforts for a uh, Florida representative and so he had like thousands of thousands of papers because his career expanded from like 1910 to 1920s to like the 1980s and so that encompassed like the creation of uh the minimum minimum wage for u.s policy wonk so he was there when the u.s minimum wage happened social security happened and when social security was fixed in the 80s so there's all this information and Mm -hmm. documents i have to not on top, top of that but also on top of like all the papers that people have to write uh, to a rep or a senator, he was also a senator, uh, to get things done. Like if you want to be uh, stationed, if you want to get a commission or like, go to a uh, military uh, uh, school, you have to go write and get, you know, honored, like get their permission to invitation to do that. So it's all this paperwork, but it's not uh, digital. You know, it's just taking up space in this archive. And so my job was to uh, try to archive it as best I could and Try to figure out what we could do to make it happen, and so, and uh, just to keep it uh, from going into nothing, right? Because, you know, they didn't use paper. We know paper right now. They had like this, like uh, for copies, it would be like uh, almost like onion skin type of paper. Yeah, it's so brittle, and uh, that you can't just feed it through a scanner. Yeah, like nineteen eighties was paper. Like you actually like feed it through a a, like or late seventies or whatever scanners. And so, um, so I was doing this digitization effort. And then the JFK library decided they got a grant or something like that. And I was so angry with them because all their stuff, because they could just speed it through auto-document feeders and get it all archived faster than we could. Because ours was all done by hand. And you had to like wear gloves and, and stuff like that, wear archival yeah. stuff like that. So it's, so it's very serious stuff to like try to like save history. and um,
1: Yeah, and there's a whole industry of people. I mean, I think that's a perfect example of, if the web if people who are in the web industry think that we're inventing everything and we're that we know the best stuff about everything that has anything to do with the web, like we're that's just we're just wrong. Like there's an entire centuries of history in archiving mm-hmm. that librarians and archivists know about. And mm-hmm. archiving with the web can and should tap into that. It's mm-hmm. just more archiving. It's just a new new version of archiving, but but also, I think people have a little bit of a... You know, they think about things like that and they think, yeah, but I'm not important. I'm not a mm-hmm. famous politician who was there when some important legislation got done. I'm mm-hmm. um, I'm like a nobody who had a blog that was kind of dumb that nothing important happened on. <laughs> and, you know, we don't need... posterity and humanity does not need every dumb website ever made to stick around. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still say... Don't listen to the voices in your head that say those things. It's true. You know, my work, I'm never going to be super famous and this stuff's never going to really matter and it's not going to be like, you know, JFK archives. But I still should keep everything organized and I still should move things off of CD onto hard drives and off of hard drives onto newer hard drives and then off of local hard drives into the cloud mm-hmm. and be a bit vigilant about my stuff I've made, the projects I've worked on, the documentation of those things, not because some famous museum's going to want it someday, but because just because, because we don't know. Things are changing so fast and media and communications and what things are have shifted and you just just hang on to it. The way you hang on to your baby pictures, if if you can, you know, and you hang on to the stuff that your mom saved from you when you went to school and mm-hmm. like just tuck it away somewhere and don't trash it right
0: well that's one thing I love about the web though is like you know you put stuff in now it's like you put it into a cloud and so you don't have to have like because I'm going through this whole thing of like uh, which is kind of funny but like the physical items that you keep around you versus do you actually need those around you so I think it's mostly like uh, trying not to become that Person on the Hoarders TV show. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like I don't need the yeah. stuff. I just need the idea or the or the visual like photo of it. That oh yeah, I, so I don't forget that what it was that happened here. So so I'm trying to like you know eventually I just scan things in, or if I can, just take a photo of it and I just let it go into the wild. You know, just like okay, mm-hmm. just so. But at least I have the photo of it. I have it archived somewhere, mm-hmm. and I could just I don't have to worry about it disappearing into the phone. So. So, but uh, but also this, that's one of the things like you know this what service like I, I totally rely on more than I ever did. So if they actually they actually speaking of like I hope they never go under. I hope they're too big to fail. But Evernote, if Evernote goes under, I'm like totally screwed just because uh, it just allows me to like I can scan everything into it and I don't I'm not burdened by having this all this paperwork surrounding me and being death of me. So
3: yeah. But, yeah. I'm sure I feel like Evernote would have some sort of backup plan, but at the same time, it's like, you know, we saw that with GeoCities that they just took everything down. And it's just mm-hmm. really, there's got to be some way that it can just be kept as is, even if they're not supporting the service anymore or letting mm-hmm. you create anything new. But to be able
2: to.
1: I would that. expect that they will go under at some point, and not because of them specifically, but like every software as a service company, every third party, whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we've, uh, you can, Yahoo was awesome. Like it was the best thing ever. Flickr was like the best. And then things disappear. They go away. Blogspot, blogger was like, you know, it would never go away and uh,
2: mm-hmm.
1: it would never change. It will always support FTP and let me post, post things on my own. You know, like it's somebody wants to make money and they sell the thing to somebody else who decides they don't want it and they shut the thing down. Like it, I think we all need a backup plan at all times. Uh Um, Not to say you shouldn't use Evernote, but to say Uh you should go look up how to export things from Evernote into a generic data format, and then you should do that once a month, once every six months, maybe once a year. Uh Once in a year you take everything and then put a duplicate someplace else. Yeah, Yeah. It's sad.
3: I I guess our needs change, and I, I can see certain services definitely going away. Like what you said about Yahoo and things like that, but if Dropbox ever went away, <laughs> I, well, I don't yeah. know what my backup for Dropbox would be.
1: Well, you get something like ARC or um, Moby or, you know, you have a couple of different things. Because hmm. they all will go, I mean, 50 years from now, is Dropbox going to be the thing? 50 years from now? Probably not. Like,
0: <laughs> well, hey, well, there's the whole story where, like, Steve Jobs was thinking about buying... Dropbox, right? And they try to. Yeah, Dropbox, like, no way, thank you.
1: So yeah, and that was great, and then, you know, and if you know something like that, then you might know that you can you know, Dropbox will probably be there in five years, right. yeah. um, perhaps even ten years, because the business is being run really well. They don't have VC, you know, if anybody has VC funding and somebody's, and so now they have to have an exit,
0: mm-hmm.
1: then you know, you're taking a risk working with them, um,
0: right. Well, like, also, I don't feel bad about Dropbox going away too much because your files are still on your computer.
1: Yeah, and right. and it's um, it's not putting something into proprietary format. They're not yeah. saving things in a Dropbox database. That if the Dropbox went away, the Dropbox database would go away, right? So right. that yeah, that's true, absolutely. With that example, for instance, right. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, I, I think too. I mean, like I said, with the CDs, you can't. You know, I have. It's frustrating to me because I have I have hours and hours and hours and hours of film and video digitized
0: Right, because like part of your background is also a uh, movie maker, is that right?
1: Yeah, I mean I, we did a project about Nikola Tesla mm-hmm. where I flew to um, Croatia, well he we flew to Slovenia and took a to Croatia, or rented a car went to Croatia and went to his house, the house in which he was born mm-hmm. and his father's church mm-hmm. and videotaped like And this is all standard definition, right? So it's not HD, but I don't know, 30 hours of footage, Uh maybe more. Then we went to the Nikola Tesla Museum in Serbia, in Belgrade, and hired a professional crew for a day and Mm -hmm. filmed the – because there's some demonstrations of the inventions that he made that uh, demonstrate either specifically things that he – Ideas he had or concepts or technology, like the AC motor. And um, and we filmed all that stuff, right? So like, and then we used a lot of that in the opera I was working on, but there's a lot of it that we didn't use, but that I still want. So I had all that digitized on hard drives. Those hard drives all died slowly, one at a time. Mm. And I bought a Drobo and I thought, this will be it. This will be the forever. <laughs> Drobo will always tell me, you know, if there's a hard drive dying, I can replace the drive, but I'll keep the data. Right. But it was FireWire, and then FireWire went away. Uh-huh. So I didn't have a FireWire computer around for a couple of years. So I just unplugged it, and it's, you know, right? So now I plug it back in. Like, I just ignored it. And then I'm like, pray, scared, pray, scared. Okay, let me plug it in. doesn't spin up. I'm like, oh, man. Like, so are those hard drives? I don't know. Are those hard drives dead? Uh-huh. Because I haven't been spun up in several years? Can I get my data off, you know, the Drobo gave me troubles the entire time I owned it. It was constantly broken and which made me very angry at Drobo because there's a lot of money I spent to get this Drobo that's supposed to be the perfect solution and from day one I had problems with it. I should have done something about that. Like it's just, (laughs) you know, and that was, you know, that's, that was way more money than I could afford at the time to try to save data that um, I still don't know if it's saved or not. And really what I should do is buy A new RAID array with a different promise. Uh Try my best to get these things to spin up. Get all the data off of there. Take it and throw it in the trash. (laughs) Um, I really, I'd like to put it on the cloud, but it's terabytes and terabytes and terabytes of stuff. Like I can't put all that on the cloud. Like
0: that's what it's there for. That's what it's like.
1: Terabytes though, you can't put terabytes of stuff in the cloud. (laughs) Like it's just, (laughs) you know, it costs me hundreds of dollars a year if I wanted to do that, and it's. Uh Not worth that much money. Um, So I don't know. You know, it's just this constant. I mean, like, you know, I could take clips, I can edit it, I can take some of the best parts and put that on my own website, put that in the cloud, put that absolutely. But then that takes even more time to go through it and Mm -hmm. try to, you know, it's just 20 minutes of the grass blowing in the field next to Tesla's house. (laughs) Like, it's just, it's a lot of um, that kind of stuff. So.
0: Right. yeah so it's like there's a judgment call I mean, you're, you're also the director and you get to make the calls what, what gets to be saved and what does not absolutely yeah so. and
1: you know it's just that like I could do that or I could finish my client work that's due <laughs> <laughs> like do I live in the present or the past do I make money or do I spend money Like, right. <laughs> yeah
0: yeah so it's yeah it's kind of crazy so um, yeah it's that's I guess that's your contribution to the future it's like what, what gets saved and what doesn't get saved
1: I don't yeah. think it is. I just think it's something to do. Maybe on my <laughs> I do care. Like it's not. You know, they're not going to. There's no time machine. Somebody's going to stumble across my work or your work or any. You know, yeah. and it's just not that important. Like there's very few of us who have been working at a level in which our work will be at all important mm-hmm. a few decades after we die. Um, mm-hmm. But. I don't know. It, you know, I, I think that it's easier to archive things as you go mm-hmm. than it is to just sort of let it sit there and then look back, back ten years later and have this giant mass of tangled stuff and not know what to do with it. Yeah. I think it's easier to just say, "Hey, I'm redesigning my website. I want to dump my old website. You know what? I won't dump it. I'll move it. Right. And then I'll just leave it there.
2: Um, right.
1: Well. Or to curate your photos as you know today, as you every week curate your photos a little bit, so that mm-hmm. when your kid grows up and wants um, copy of all the photos when they were little that oh. they can get them in a way that sort of makes sense because you were sort of organizing them and in, in erasing the really bad ones all along rather than sort of doing nothing and then wanting 20 years from now to give your kid 20 years of photos. <laughs> right. You know, not being able to separate them from the other photos that have nothing to do with your kid. Or, yeah. uh, anyway, this is, this. I think, you know, we've beaten this topic to death, but... Um,
0: yeah. <laughs> So yeah, let's talk about like the movie career though, just not in terms of archiving, but just like like your uh, like what what was your like like where in your life was the movies part was it after the theater production or, or?
1: Yeah, so I did. I started doing theater in college. I started doing graphic design in college, and so then I became. I did that for money. I was a professional at both for most of the nineties, um, and then I wanted to change. So I started teaching um, and I started and then in my mid 30s I went to film school because I wanted to It's funny because I love theater, but there was something about it that would make me really sad when we would take a show down and you would destroy the set and mm-hmm. the only thing that maybe you'd have left is some slides that were shot that you know the show was gone. Mm-hmm. And I thought maybe film is better because it will you still have the film on your shelf, right? You make you do all this work to make a film, but you're not. The work of making the film isn't the event. The event is the film once it's finished. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, film can more people will see it. Like most people don't go to theater these days. Theater as an industry is dying, so the money in it is really low. Where film um, is, everybody watches movies, right? Supposedly, like everybody's going to think about the Oscars. It's a whole big global event. Uh, but it. I kind of screwed up in a way because y- you can't get into the film industry when you're 36. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can, but I was tired. Like, I didn't have the energy when I was 22, and uh, mm-hmm. I wasn't going to climb ladders and and be a PA at 36. Uh, and um, so I never, I never like tried to make it into Hollywood or whatever. Like, that wasn't really my goal. But also, I realized I was about, you know, I was 10 years too late. Um, But so I never did film professionally ever. I just taught film at university level and made short films. um, That you know they were okay uh, and they did nicely in the film festival circuit. Um, There's several that got around to 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 a lot of festivals.
2: So So, and I learned
1: I learned a lot. Like it costs you the filmmaker tons of money to pay to try to get your film seen in film festivals. Um, and film festivals, I mean, only a tiny percentage of the population goes to film festivals. Like, you're not going to get your... I mean, it's different now, I guess, now that most people watch things on the web. But right. um, it's really, really hard to make films. And it's really, really hard to make good films. It's, And once you put all the effort into it and it's only mediocre, you go ahead and release it anyway because you're not going to kill it. Mm-hmm. Because you just put two years and thousands and thousands of dollars of your own money into making a film. But it's really hard to make a good one and it's hard to get better if you're not making them. And mm-hmm. it's way harder to make a film than it is to make a theater production. Like way harder. Really? Why and is it's that way harder to make a good film than it is to make a four-weeks.
0: So like, so like what can you explain that a little bit more? Like what goes into making a really good, good film versus a film, like a really great film versus a good film or
1: Oh, script writing and acting and mm-hmm. resources. And if you ha- if you don't have any money, then you need all your actors to work for free. So you're only going to get mm-hmm. people with a certain level of experience. And because I was doing films with film students, you know, my career would be a group of film students. It, that was hard. Because mm-hmm. most of the film students are too um, inexperienced to realize that every job is a good job to do your best at. And instead, lots of times people would want to, you know, I'm too... I don't want the low level, you know, I don't want to get donuts. I don't want to direct traffic. I don't want to, I'm too good for that. Like, don't give me the job where I need to haul equipment. It's like, Mm. well, we got to haul the equipment. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I don't want to, you know, stay here till three in the morning painting this wall and moving this furniture around in circles. Mm. I want to do the fancy stuff. Because that's the thing. People think that film is fancy. They think it's all this red carpet event. And it's like, no, like most of it's a blue collar job. It's some sort of, Being an electrician, a carpenter, a painter, a a truck driver, a hauler. Like, it's not romantic. It's hard physical labor. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the film students would be too... Too above that. Yeah, they just wouldn't do it. And so they just throw tantrums. You just have to deal with people throwing tantrums all day.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, it's kind of weird, like, because your job that you're doing right now is the audition for the next job, right? So it's... Yeah. How will you do it now? Even though it's like getting donuts or something like that, if you... If you don't get donuts in a fabulous way. It's good, you know. Not that you just didn't get it or you just got like whatever. Or you're like, you know, let's say you get donuts, but if you just do a good job and people can, can count on you, that goes a long way for people to, in the future. To open
1: it yeah, up. they'll turn around and they'll be like, all right, you yeah. handled the donuts great. Now we're giving you the film to deliver to the right, yeah. lab. Yeah.
0: It's, and then
1: now that you've delivered the film to the lab, we we'll go get the camera lenses. Now that you've got the camera lenses over here, why don't you stick the camera lens on the camera? Right.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of people uh, – uh, I think I had that mentality for a while. I think I, got, I had to grow up. Like when I was in college, I still had that mentality. And so it takes a while to, to realize like, oh, yeah, that's right. I need a good – You know, I can't just flake out or something like that. I need to like put the effort into it. So yeah.
3: I
2: don't
0: know, as a teacher, how you see that in your
3: – I mean I, I see it definitely – the students see it more as like a – it should happen instantly. Mm-hmm. It's an overnight thing like, okay, I know HTML and CSS, now I'm done. Yeah. Not really, keeps on. it keeps <laughs> on going, and it just changed a little bit, and you have to know this, this, and this now, or remember that browser prefix that I showed you a month ago? We yeah. don't need to worry about it anymore, because it's all taken care of, and it'll it'll be things like that. So I think there's that idea of like, it's an overnight thing that,
0: that I don't want
3: a whole generation, but I kind of, you you can do.
1: See, I kind of <laughs> do. Same yeah, there is something about this new generation that's even more like that. People have been, not everybody, definitely not every class of society, not every, but a lot of the white kids in the United States <laughs> grew up very spoiled and very much being told that, like, you're a unique snowflake and you should get to do whatever you want to do. Yeah. And um, I think those kids are having a really hard time transitioning into the real world where. You Know there's a lot of donuts that need to be delivered, and Mm -hmm. somebody's got to do it, and you're gonna you're at the bottom of the ladder, it's your turn. Mm -hmm. Um, and they they just don't want the job at all, so they're like, Well, I can't get a job because no one will hire me to run CPS. It's like, Well, (laughs) there's only one guy who runs CBS, and yeah, it's not you, (laughs) like,
2: yeah,
1: (laughs) that's not your first job. Like, (laughs) I just blame it
3: on fast internet because they get everything there so quickly, so you
0: know, in real. I've been the life. YouTubes. <laughs> the YouTubes?
3: Yeah, I've
2: yeah.
0: yeah, been but, uh, but even like like that's, that's, I was just kinda thinking like how like old I am on, on the web or whatever. Like I don't get people like I don't get like I don't get these people on their but like Get uh, off my lawn. Get off my lawn. But you know, there's there's YouTube stars, right? Who mm-hmm. just do video out of their apartment or oh, house yeah. or whatever and they just, you know, they do they just talk to the camera, say whatever they want or whatever. But it's like high ed- like fast editing. hmm it's for that with like, you know, and, you know, it's get better. They get better equipment we, to the lighting. gets better. But, you know, and they're all on YouTube and if YouTube wasn't around, you know, they wouldn't be like a Z Frank who just uploaded videos yeah. to a web server. Right. They're just they wouldn't know what to do. Right. Yeah. So they just upload to that. And so that kind of like it's it's cool for me to see that that we're now in this age that we can just record stuff. But they still need to do the editing that that. The editing behind uh, when you record something, splice it together and super fast pacing to make it look like you don't sound like an idiot, like you like like I normally do, or like, <laughs> like, like I imagine that they sound like an idiot, but like I sound like an idiot. Like, but then you put like fast edits in there and do like MTV quick quick takes, whatever. You sound amazing and witty and smart and all like that. So, but even that takes time to do. And the thing if they were like the lighting, like you know, we talked about the theater. So, you know, it's just fog like
3: machines yeah fog machines
0: on your easy. Instagrams and right, yeah, Instagram that stuff but, uh, but yeah so it's it takes Yeah, time to- I mean
1: it's I was part of a, the community of people who invented video blogging back in like 2000 what was that 2004, 5 and 6 and uh, so this was before YouTube when people were figuring out technically how to actually put a video on a web page because mm-hmm. it was not possible Uh Um, and through a lot of experimentation and conversations, it was an email listserv going around, um, you know, step-by-step people, the group, that group figured out how to do it. Uh Um, and the, and there were a lot of ideas and conversations about form, like, what are we going to use this for? Uh And some of the ideas are things that like now basically define or YouTube or, you know, stuff that we see today. And now seems kind of obvious, but back then it was like really profound. Like, wow, you can make your own show and you can have episodes and you can put them out one after another after another. Uh Okay, well, and you can have audiences of, you know, unlimited numbers of people. What are you going to do with that power? Uh Uh, And some people really wanted to imitate television they wanted to, then they created shows that were sort of modern versions of Entertainment Tonight or, yeah, MTV VJs back in the day, like a new kind of style of that. Um, But most of what everybody made was was either per- very personal or experimental or if they were trying to copy Hollywood, it was bad because that stuff is hard to do. You know? mm-hmm. And there were some dramas. There were a couple of experiments around, you know, writing script and creating dramas. Um, but in some ways, it's funny because it, it, it felt to me, at least my perspective of that that time was, hey, there's this promise of no gatekeeper. Like You can make your own show, get together with your own friends, write your own scripts, produce the whole stuff. No one's going to stop you, and you can go direct to an audience. So you don't have to charm some executives at NBC, and you don't have to get green-lighted by so much and such studio. You just can do it. Um, so therefore, all the stories that don't get told will get told. All the people who are not represented in media will get represented in media, and all the different kinds of art forms that could be around but aren't because studios won't take risks like that those will now be around it will be great well none of that's come to fruition and and uh, I think in part because people just sometimes people just want to be in Hollywood like they they use YouTube as a way to get a record contract mm-hmm. because they want a very traditional very commercial very rich and famous record contract um, right. and so some of the people are using video that way to like they wanted. They literally wanted to go from making their own entertainment tonight style television show to being mm. the new correspondence for some entertainment network um, and stand on red carpets and interview celebrities. Like that's what they wanted to do with their lives. So they were using their video blog to be a, a way to get in that way. Mm. Um, but you know, the majority of it, like you said, you have to edit and light and uh, hold the microphone properly and have good technique and. Mm-hmm. Be funny. It's hard to be funny, and oh, yeah. you know, charming and kind of flirty and, and right. know how to talk to people. And it's not something that everybody can do. So um.
0: yeah, we're still. I'm still trying to learn all that stuff. That's nice. yeah. That's kind of hard.
3: And now with all of it being online too, I'm seeing a lot of, especially the like Instagram famous or Vine celebrity sort of folks. They're also spending a significant amount of time responding to feedback because right. there are comments now and right. there are people recreating mm-hmm. what they put out there
0: right and the, and there's like even TV shows that I think would be long to be canceled mm-hmm. but uh you know it's just but now the stars or writers of the show are live tweeting as they're being broadcast for the, yeah. for the first episodes or something of like that so
1: yeah but I I'm still disappointed because you're like oh so this person's live tweeting like oh that's just a tiny step forward we could be doing some really amazing and maybe this does kick back you know hook back over to the theater that I've seen or the just the, like there's all kinds of other ways to tell stories and there's all sorts of other ways to ha- make a drama. And I like, I love the fact that the internet lets us not worry about those gatekeepers. You don't need the, you don't need the endorsement of a big media company. You don't need a a, a budget of a hundred thousand dollars or $2 million. So you don't have to take Take a, two, you know, you don't have to worry about taking a risk when you're spending t- the way you do when you spend two million dollars, right? Uh-huh. If you're going to spend two thousand dollars or two dollars, you can take all kinds of risks that the two million dollar budget project just can't take. Right. Um, but that's not what people are doing. People are not taking those risks, and they're not. People are copying. It's not just that, you know, somehow big media brainwashed us all or controlled us all or stopped all the great innovative artists. Or mm-hmm. it's also that the people, regular people, are not we're censoring ourselves like we're not creating that kind of work and we don't see other voices we don't see other perspectives politically we don't see other you know it's still kind of this dominated by mainstream Uh a certain kind of like look a certain race a certain gender a certain polish a certain class a certain like whatever you want to label it like there's a certain subculture of of our of the united states that kind of gets promoted as the thing and Uh When there's a whole diverse world of people, all kinds of different people with all kinds of different accents all over the place who could be visible and we could see what they have to say and whatever. And that we don't see that, you know, we don't we don't um, unless, it's, you know, people on a reality TV show, they're getting made fun of or something. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> and that's disappointing to me that somehow something about humanity, everybody just wants to copy the stuff so they can be the next get rich person. They don't they want to be Justin Bieber they don't want to be Mm. something completely new and different the way back in the 60s and 70s there was so much artistic experimentation and there was so much Mm. even in the mainstream There's just so much like let's push music into a place it's never been let's push theater and drama into a place where it's never been let's you know hear from these other voices let's like that impulse has faded even though the technology is there to make it really amazing right and the artists that I know who do want that they day, things like that, they're still so stuck in the 20th century and they're still right. so technophobic. And they're like, only rich people have computers. I don't know how to use a computer. It's like, shut up and go learn how to use a computer. <laughs> it's going to cost you $500 to buy an iPad. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Like, get a refurbished Mac. It's fine. Shut right. up. Go learn it. And then you can be the person making this great innovative story instead of making yourself into a victim and right. sitting on the sidelines and doing nothing. Like, right whatever i have no more patience for people like that but
0: right. yeah uh, also like louis ck right who uh you know gambled on his
1: yeah he's travel. a good example actually
0: yeah so he gambled and now you can buy his video for five bucks and he's, like, made $4 million off of it or whatever. So it's just like... Yeah. yeah. And he's
1: played he's played back and forth between the mainstream and doing things like an HBO special and then taking risks. And, like, his the TV show that he has, yeah. part of the reason that he can write the scripts that he writes, which are very innovative and edgy in a way that a typical traditional television studio wouldn't necessarily feel safe doing. He's able to do that because 100% artistic control of his show. He, he, his scripts do not have to be approved by anybody. Uh-huh. And the reason he has 100% artistic control is because he ag- he agreed to do on the show on a network that just couldn't afford to pay him much or him or anybody else.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so they w- were willing to do that deal with him because that's what they could offer him to get him because he could easily have gone to a different network. But on the other network, they would have wanted to control everything and they would have rewritten his scripts. And he didn't want that. So he was like, well, let me go on this little network over here and I'll keep my budget really low. His budget for each show is like 200 grand. And I'll just, you know, they'll take a big risk, but they won't cost them very much money. And I will be artistically like in charge of everything. And I'll make the show to the vision that I have. And then we'll see what happens. And what happens is one of the best TV shows on TV. Right you know and the risk maybe wouldn't have worked out i mean i don't know if you ever watched his first television series but it no it did not work nearly out. as good as <laughs> like, how mm-hmm. did that work out <laughs> and it probably because it was more controlled and he had to like you know do what the the networks wanted and it didn't work out so well but yeah and then later his the, what what you're talking about is um his co- i mean he did a comedy special on hbo i think and then he did one where he yeah he didn't release it through a traditional um mm-hmm. network he he just sold it on his website and so that did very very well and uh, and but then he went back to doing another hbo special like he's not you know he's going back and forth right. um, but what he has that a lot of people don't have is he has a strong artistic vision and he has a certain kind of integrity and he has a certain agency and a certain savviness and he knows what he wants and he gets out there to make it happen mm-hmm. the way that he wants it to happen
0: right and but he delivers a donut on time too
1: <laughs> <laughs> well he said he actually has a great bit that i um that i love about who he works with and yeah he was like you know that kid who won't get the he, these are my words now not his but the same th- he had a story similar of like that kid who who rolls his eyes when you ask him to get the donuts he's like he's out of there like how far that guy yeah. and then when I find somebody who's really good I think it was a and a there was like a bunch of film students at a QA and a and the film student asked him a question and about how to work your way up or how do I get the respect I deserve or whatever. And he was like, you don't deserve any respect. Like you, uh, you, 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 we know you're at the bottom, go get my donuts <laughs> and do it well and do it really, really, really well. And, uh, and then you'll work your way up.
0: Right. Mm. Yeah. So cool. I think we're, I think it's a good time to wrap it up a little bit. But, um, one question we always ask at the end is like, uh, what are you passionate about right now? Like what's, what's, what's driving you right now, like, you know, in terms of moving forward, I guess, or like what's, what technology, it doesn't be web technology per se, but it would help since we're, you know, talking about web stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think I really feel like there's a, um, there's a, in these specifications in the web, you know, in the web specs, HTML, JavaScript, CSS, there's a lot of things that are new that we have been talking about but there's also a lot of things that are new that that people, I don't see a lot of people talking about. I see some developers talking about them, but nobody else. And um, I think those things really, I mean, we talk about change. I think those things are actually bringing a bigger shift in our idea about what the web is. Not a change in what the web actually is, but, but in our sort of too small ideas, our ideas that are, have already been too small about what the web is. Um, and I think it's going to really, I think it could really change things pretty drastically even more.
0: So too small about what we've, basically like staying on the shoulders of giants or, or like, is that, uh,
1: Yeah, well, I people mean, are taking yeah. our
0: ideas of what the web has been and just well, making the, it their own? Or?
1: People, you know, I think for a long time, people thought the web is a new version of that, that brochure rack that you see in mm-hmm. hotels.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, it's a brochure. It's a bunch of brochures for companies. Um, it replaces the 800 number. It replaces the brochure. It's a, it's a stack of pages. You click on them, you read them, you leave. That's it, right? We already know that it's more than that. It's a bunch of stores. Also, it's a replacement for the mall, and it's a replacement for, um, and slowly becoming a replacement for the television, or radio, box with the clicking the buttons and changing channels, where you can receive that content through the web instead. But there's all sorts of other stuff. I mean, it's going to, you know, replace the phone, replace the. Um, it's. It can be much more dynamic. It can be much more of a, com- a real-time communications platform. Right. Um, websites can, WebRTC and WebSocket specifically, you can have a web page that changes, it morphs, keeps morphing while you're on it. Mm-hmm. Um, data visualizations instead of static graphs could be, you know, kind of 3D objects that you can play with and, and learn and look at and might change, say, on election night as... as, uh, as um, voting results come in or um, that a group of people in a class could be on a website for that class together and creating some sort of, there could be some sort of experience that mirrors the experience of being in a room together um, that has some of the qualities that being in a classroom might have in the way that people are able to talk to each other or work together or collaborate or have a dynamic. Something more than you know, say Adobe Connect or you um, <laughs> You know, that sort of Flash. We have these things, these webinars in Flash from seven years ago. But like that could all get redesigned from scratch again, using this newer technology. Um, A way for a web page to really be a space, not a piece of paper. Um, And then you go to that space and there's things happening inside of that space. And, you know, people have been talking about that forever. Safe was a zillion years old. But I still think there's potential there that has not been fulfilled. I think the technology has limited the hardware and the software both, has really limited what's possible. And people have been messing around with trying to make things happen using Flash or using different sorts of stuff. But mm. um, we're still not there yet. And I think that, that once we, once the, the technology, software, and hardware, and some of it is in these new specs, gets arrives, mm. I think there's potential to do some really amazing projects that are very interesting and very much further beyond what's been happening
2: uh-huh.
1: and um, I haven't seen that happen yet so that's what I keep trying to chase after is um, how do I find clients who are interested in talking to me about those things or having me come and help them figure out what that might be or how do I have my own brilliant ideas of what that is and go build something myself or put together a team and build it uh-huh. and blow everybody's minds after by, because I see it or right. um, or do I teach it you know that's what the web podcast is, you know, is about in some ways or the conference talks that I give, I'm sort of, sometimes people don't really want to hear it because they want, just want to know which breakpoints they should use in their response. <laughs> <website>. <laughs> but uh, I'm interested in sort of talking about trying to imagine the future and in some ways imagining the future by looking back at the past and figuring out what the patterns were in the past and seeing if that can help us figure out where things will be going in the future. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Every, it seems like everything I do has something to do with that and really trying to figure out what is this thing called the web what has it been and what is it going to be? Because I don't think it's going to be a bunch of brochure pages. No, it's not. It's
0: not? <laughs> it's not, not this time, no.
1: It's not only. I mean, that is a cool use for it. Right. But it's not the only thing.
0: Cool. Awesome. Well, I, I think it's definitely not brochureware anymore. So, But you can make some awesome brochureware on the web. For sure. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. So uh, I think it's good time to wrap it up. Um, I wish we could talk longer but uh how can people find you on the on the internet on the web
1: yeah thanks for having me um uh twitter jen simmons I have a really bad website at jensimmons.com that hopefully is going to get replaced Um, that's what I'm scanning photos in and working on I've been working on it recently so Uh, maybe don't go to it now but go to (laughs) it soon later follow me on twitter and then I'll tell you when you should go to it um where else am I? Oh, the pod, the podcast. People should definitely check it out. Five by Five dot TV slash Web Ahead, mm-hmm. or just search, just Google the words "the Web Ahead." You'll find it.
0: Oh, I got that search engine uh, Google Juice there going.
1: Cool. <laughs> yeah, it's in iTunes. Whole thing.
0: Okay, awesome, cool. Well, thank you so much for being part of the show. Thanks to Sam for helping out, co-hosting. Yeah. Where can people find you on there?
3: Um you can just find me on Twitter as well. It's just Sam Cap.
0: Sam Cap. A K. Sam K-A-P. Mm-hmm.
3: Okay. And
0: I'm Christopher, I'm finding me at Teleject. This is not Christopher, but it's at mm-hmm. Teleject T-E-L-E-J-C-T. And uh, thanks everyone for listening and hope to see you guys next week. All right. See you. Bye.